Hello, Songs for the Struggling Artist listeners. It is episode 75 of Songs for the Struggling Artist. Thank you for listening. And 75 is a lot of episodes, I'm realizing. <laughs> so thank you. If you've, if you've heard only one or all 75, I, I thank you for listening. Um, I don't know, 75 is such a like nice satisfying number feels like oh that's almost a landmark in 25 episodes that'll be 100 episodes and I know that many podcasts celebrate their 100th episode with like cake so get your cakes ready everybody 25 more episodes we're eating cake uh yeah so it's 2018 um since the last time I spoke to you the year has gone from one number to another I hope everyone is weathering the storm all right. There's a literal storm as I'm speaking to you, but that's not actually the storm that I meant. (laughs) Anyway, because it's a new year, I um, am getting together sort of the best of 2017 um, on the blog and putting together... Um, some albums, actually, of the songs that I recorded last year. And you guys, I recorded 40 songs last year <laughs> in 2017. So I, I had, that's a lot of songs. So I have basically four albums worth of material. Now, is it all perfect? No. But perfection kind of wasn't the idea for this. Um, it's more like... I needed to share with you, my listeners, um, what, what, was, what was churning <laughs> in my being. So you're, there are four albums worth of churn um, forthcoming. Uh, or if you were just like really wanting to give yourself a huge project, you could just like lift, you could edit out the songs at the end of every blog podcast and you could make your own album, but I don't think anybody's going to do that because that was a lot of work. It's enough work to try and just like organize the stuff that I have. I cannot imagine anyone would want to do that. Um, so, but it is actually kind of complex because I am looking, you know, trying to figure out how to get licenses to be able to um, put out covers of songs and figuring out how to do digital distribution and. Um, it's a learning curve, but it's at least it's like a learning curve for a cool, creative project. So keep an eye out. I will let you know once I have figured out how that's all going to go. Um, yeah, that's happening. Uh, so today, today's blog is, um, a funny intersection of musical theater and politics, um, and feminism. And these are things that do not always go together, but um, it seemed to have struck a chord with quite a lot of people. Um, and I'm not sure you actually needed to have seen Into the Woods for this to make sense, although it definitely helps. Um, anyway, this is called Hello Little Girl Culture and Me at 14. The horrifying Roy Moore stuff has sparked a campaign of people posting photos of hashtag me at 14, 
to bring home for those who are dismissing the severity of the charges how young 14 really is. When I was 14, I saw the Broadway production of Into the Woods, and I heavily identified with the child in the show, Little Red Riding Hood. I was very interested in the other women, but I saw myself as Little Red. And in seeing a production of the show recently, I started to think about how my 14-year-old brain processed the play. See, I thought I'd seen this show when I was 17 because of how clearly I understood that the wolf was a sexual predator and that getting eaten by the wolf was a sexual awakening for the little girl. But I was not 17. I was 14, and I got it. Totally. And it made me feel excited. Well, excited and scared. This is a lyric from Little Red Song. I know things now. And while I still love this show, my adult feminist brain sees this storyline, as well as many others, as particularly problematic for my developing brain. The thing is, the wolf is a bad guy. He is seductive and charming, and he eats a grandmother and child whole. He is a literal predator. He sings Hello, Little Girl, and the lyrics are not vague on the subject. Think of that flesh, pink and plump, he sings, and this show makes the confusing overlap between sex and predation. Like, the wolf has stolen Little Red's innocence, but she likes it a little bit. She knows things now. Things like, scary is exciting, and nice is different than good. But meanwhile, the audience has also been seduced by the wolf. We laugh at the double entendre of the wolf's sense of her as tender and fresh, and that crosses our wires. We learn to be attracted to predators through stories like this which I know, I know, wasn't the intention. The work is complex, and Sondheim points us towards something that does, in fact, happen in the world. But in thinking about hashtag me at 14, I find it disturbing that at 14, I had already worked out the feeling of being prey for predators when I saw this show. I knew how that felt and had known for some time. But I was also interested in a sexual awakening, and every story I saw about this seemed to suggest that the way to an awakening was to get seduced by a predator. You couldn't have your own sexual awakening. You had to be overpowered by some dark force. I keep thinking about a tweet I saw from Anna Paquin about growing up in a victim grooming business. And the movie business isn't the only one doing that grooming. Sometimes it feels like most of the culture is a victim grooming business. As I grew up, I kept listening to the soundtrack from Into the Woods and I moved from identifying with Little Red to Cinderella. I really understood Cinderella's indecision about whether to be caught by her stalker or keep running. The prince has a lot in common with the wolf, especially when he's played by the same actor, and his relationships are similarly predatory and similarly attractive. What I learned was that it was a predatory prince who will awaken your sleeping sexuality, not a man who is your peer. I understood that these princes were ridiculous, but also that they were the only way forward for a sexual life, not just for Cinderella, but also for the baker's wife, who I also learned to identify with as I got older. 
The baker's wife gets her post-baby sexuality awakened by the same predatory prince and then promptly gets killed for it. She also technically gets fridged. I mean, it's like from this plot point, I learned that sex you enjoy is punishable by death. The baker's wife is set free sexually, and then she dies. Also, she has no identity of her own. She belongs to the baker. Little Red Riding Hood is seduced by the wolf and then consumed by him. Cinderella is transformed slash rescued by the prince, but ultimately betrayed by him. The only man who isn't a predator and into the woods is bossy as hell and is always telling his wife to go home. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about Into the Woods. This show has meant something to me since I was 14. The women in this show are complex and multidimensional, and that is nothing to sneeze at in this world. But I am troubled by the messages I took in from this show and troubled by the way they continue to fly through the culture. Stephen Sondheim's complex and poignant work points to something that can be real. And then that realness goes on to perpetuate itself as the work becomes canon and every young musical theater fan goes to see it. The wolves of the world, the Roy Moores of the world, not to mention so many others, continue to think they're doing young girls a favor by pursuing them. And then young girls convince themselves that being overcome, being doggedly pursued, being seduced, consumed, betrayed, are an inevitable part of a sexual awakening. Most of us found the wolf singing, Hello Little Girl, funny and charming and not deeply disturbing the first time we heard it. But I find myself deeply disturbed by it now, every time I think about it. And I try to imagine a production of Into the Woods where a 14-year-old me wouldn't be charmed by the wolf, where hashtag me at 14 wouldn't start dreaming of being stalked or hunted like prey after watching it, where I didn't learn to be attracted to predators. If you are a person who finds men attractive, this is a thing you have to reckon with. See also Kevin Spacey's predation on a 14-year-old boy. The production I saw most recently tried to deal with some of the tricky gender dynamics of the show with some feminist flair. The director tried to make the baker's wife the hero, which is hard because she gets fridged. The costume designer gave Jack's mom a hammer and made her a kind of Rosie the Riveter single mom. But it takes more than a hammer to solve this problem at the heart of the piece. You can't solve a hello little girl culture with a sexy wolf. I think you may actually perpetuate it. And of course, I got these messages long before I ever saw Into the Woods. This programming is not the fault of this show. I couldn't have understood it if I hadn't seen it multiple times before. I don't know what we're supposed to do about this sort of thing. Never do Into the Woods again? Only do dark expressionistic productions? I don't know. My hope is that we find a way to tell stories that eventually drown out these predatory stories, to let these stories of predation become the outliers and watch other stories take center stage. We have to take a hard look at the way our culture grooms men to be predators and women to be victimized, even in our most beloved stories and shows. We have to address this stuff in the Senate and in our theaters. It's time. I don't want the next generation of girls to grow up as prey for the wolves and Roy Moores of the world. I want them to find their awakenings on their own, 
with their own agency, with people who are their peers, not their predators. So I left out the last line of this uh, piece, uh, at least in the written version of the piece, because it was a plea to the people of Alabama to uh, vote for Doug Jones um, in their special election, which they did. So thank you very much, people of Alabama, um, for keeping Roy Moore out of our government. <laughs> Not just for the horrible predatory reasons mentioned in this blog, but for all of his horrific uh, racist and gender views. And so we're glad for so many reasons to not have Roy Moore. Um, so yeah, that, I left that bit out because, you know, thank, thank, thank goodness that plea is no longer necessary. Um, yes. So, um, podcast I'm going to recommend to you is called The Heart. And I haven't heard a lot of episodes of it, but I've heard enough to know that it really often deals with female sexuality in a really artistic and meaningful way. It, it, it's a, a frank and kind of poetic look at uh, female desire and sexuality. So um, I have not listened to a lot of episodes, but the ones I've heard, I think, fit nicely into what we're looking at here today on the blog. So The Heart, check it out. And for the song today, I have for you what I I think is kind of the the mirror of this kind of predatory idea of releasing female sexuality and i feel like this song taps into the the more feminine perspective on on that idea um and sort of exploring the idea of of opening out into sexuality and feeling um released and um, inspired rather than attacked and <laughs> predated upon. Uh, so uh, this song I used to think of as a guilty pleasure. Like I was like, oh, God, I love this song. I really am embarrassed that I love it, but I do. And now I'm actually, I sort of feel like it's kind of radical in a beautiful way. I mean, it was a big hit pop song, um, but... It is, it is, it has its finger right on the, on the pulse of feminine desire. Um, and, and it also sets some limits, which I, I just like, like I love both things about it. Um, so I don't feel guilty about liking this song anymore. And, um, and I recorded it for you to listen to. So um, this is Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. Up tight for a century of lonely nights, waiting for someone to release me. You look in your lips and bone kisses my way, but that don't mean I'm gonna give it away, baby, baby. 